I'm not a very competitive person. Well, unless you count word games and trivia. I kind of lose myself in those, and I don't always like who I become. I'm not sure competition brings out the best in me. And I'm pretty glad I don't feel that way about most things in my life. I love, love, love playing pub trivia with my husband, good friends, and our kids when they're in town. That trivia gene has been passed down. And for those of you who may not know, a good trivia team is made up of people who all have different areas of interest and expertise. Literature, sports, geography, pop culture. Just think Trivial Pursuit with one person representing each of those little colored wedges. I'm a bit of a generalist, but my team and I hope I can handle most religion questions. So one night we had a sports question that wasn't really a sports question. It was about Eli Manning. For which biblical prophet was he named? Eli. It had to be either Elijah or Elisha. I didn't know which one because I don't read sports biographies or stats. I knew it was one of those two, though. And I suggested that logically I thought it would be Elisha, because that would be the real trivia. I mean, Elijah is much more common. It's easy guess, more obvious. So I suggested Elisha. Well, the worst thing you can say when you're playing trivia is I think. Because <laughs> it just opens everything up. Everyone has an opinion. They think they all have equal weight. They don't. <laughs> and that can just be painful. So as the discussion began, the consensus of the majority was that we should submit our answer as Elijah. I wouldn't be telling you the story if I hadn't been right. <laughs> it was, in fact, Elisha. And I'm not bitter about that. <laughs> I haven't held on to that disappointment. I don't sometimes daydream and think we would have won if only we had earned those few points. And I will tell you the fact that I do think about that and those emotions and that lack of forgiveness that bubble up make me really glad that I'm actually not competitive about a lot of things. So I perked up this week when my friend Elisha showed up in the Bible. We're given the story of Elisha and Naaman, our Old Testament reading today. It's a story filled with interesting little details, trivia, you might say. And the beauty and the power of this story is in those seemingly trivial details. So the big picture. Naaman is a wealthy and powerful commander of the army of the king of Aram, modern-day Syria. And the Arameans were enemies of Israel. And even if you don't know any biblical history, 
you would know that by picking up some context clues. That seemingly trivial detail in the text. Now the Aramaeans, on one of their raids, had taken a young girl captive from the land of Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. We also learn that Naaman suffers from leprosy. And I'll tell you, there is some interpretive debate over whether it could have really been leprosy because he wasn't isolated. Perhaps it was some other chronic skin condition. Regardless, he desired healing. This young girl, the Israelite, who serves Naaman's wife, is the one to suggest a remedy. See the prophet of my homeland and be cured. Surely Shakespeare borrowed freely from the events that followed. You see it over and over again in his plays. A letter is sent. It's misunderstood. A king is in anguish and tears his clothing. And a minor character steps forward to set things right. That character is the very prophet the young girl suggested, Elisha. A warrior with his riches and power cannot cure himself. A king with his riches and power cannot cure the warrior. A young girl, servant of Naaman's mistress, and a prophet, servant of the Lord, are the two with the solution to curing Naaman. That, my friends, is not the obvious answer. Not then and not now. Naaman shows up in Israel with horses and chariots. And there are a few verses, if you notice, that are left out in our lectionary reading. And those verses are interesting because they tell us he also had 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of garments. Naaman was a very wealthy man, and he was clearly planning to buy his healing. The warrior shows up at Elisha's house with all of this stuff, and Elisha does not even bother to come out and see him. But rather, he sends a messenger to instruct him to wash in the Jordan seven times. The Jordan, a muddy river that pales in comparison to the great rivers of Naaman's country. I mean, this can't be right, right? I mean, Naaman traveled far. He brought riches beyond imagination. And he was being given ridiculous instructions by a mere messenger. He naturally, for someone of his status and wealth, became angry. He wanted magic. He wanted ceremony. He wanted divine intervention. And he left in a huff. Again, we see truth, understanding, and direction coming from a source that is not obvious. Naaman's own servants speak reason to him. So what if the cure sounds ridiculous and it's not what you expected? Try it. 
He did. And it worked. Naaman's flesh was restored like the flesh of a young boy, and he was clean. This story from 2 Kings, much like the entire Gospel of Luke we've been working our way through this year, is a story of reversals, turning the thinking of the world on its head. The obvious is rarely the answer. The seemingly trivial details and minor characters are often possessors of truth. Wealth, power, and status could not cure the warrior. Trust, faith, and conviction could. The words of servants and a prophet. Those who were often overlooked knew the truth. And a young girl pointed the way. When engaging this text in 2019, it's hard not to think of the young voices of our day speaking truth to power. The Parkland students pushing forward a national dialogue on gun control. Greta Thunberg, who was just here in Denver on Friday, pushing forward an international dialogue on climate change. Young people, those who are not the obvious answer, are speaking truth to those with power, wealth, and status who seem unable to see or exact a cure. Young people whose actions and words are far from trivial. Young people who can, if we listen, point us all in a better direction. So if you're looking for God's action in the world, my friends, remember to look to the not-so-obvious, to what is viewed as trivial by the powers that be.